Hey everybody, welcome to Revolutionary Relationships, a podcast here to support you in your emotional, your relational, and your spiritual evolution. Yes, and if you don't know, we are your hosts, Kara and Caleb, and we are so glad that you are here. This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. And we are back. We're here. <laughs> Where are we back to? Well, I guess we're back in Nashville and also back on the podcast. Oh, it's true. For a new episode this week. It's true. How does it feel to be back in Nashville? It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's changing this week, though. Yeah, I know. I'm excited for the fall weather. Me too. Well, we, we just got back from uh, Los Angeles, actually. We did. We were there for what? Four, five days? Four days. It was and really I was, nice. It was nice. And I was... Really curious on how it would feel being back now that we've been in Nashville for like f- six months, seven, seven months. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Nashville, you know, it doesn't feel like home. Mm. It it doesn't feel like it, I do feel like this is where we are supposed to be, but it doesn't feel like home. Mm. Um, I'm not ruling it out, but I'm just holding it with open hands. Yeah. You know, and holding it loosely. Uh, but I. I will say that LA also didn't feel like home. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like we were supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of communicated this to you, but I really think there is something to um, us being in a transitional season of mm-hmm. life, like mm-hmm. bringing a baby into this world. Uh, we are transitioning in our work. We're really getting settled, right? We're really yeah. getting settled into our lives. And there are so many transitions happening that it makes sense that nowhere really feels like home because I think home um, energetically is kind of being cultivated within us right now. Yeah. And when this shifts internally, I think it's going to be clear where we are supposed to be. Where we want to land. Yeah. That's such a good perspective. Yeah. I feel like LA was really fun for me. It was good for me. It was good to be back. The weather, man. Gosh, <laughs> and the energy of LA. Yeah. There's really nothing like it. I just think being there does something really good for my soul. Um, but I felt similarly where I you know, I I was able to recognize like this once felt like home and I was there for almost 10 years. So I think the familiarity feels like home in a lot of ways, but also recognizing we are in such a massive transition. And I think I was asking the question, where do we belong? Where do we belong? And I think you had said something along the lines of this is a season of learning to belong to ourselves, which I think is, is so true and so accurate. I'm wondering because I, have never moved somewhere because I've wanted to move there. Mm. I've moved somewhere because I felt like this is where truth is leading me. This is where love uh, is bringing me. Yeah. Right. It's the reason why I moved to Canada. It's the reason why I moved to Buffalo. I was following this inner voice. It's Mm -hmm. the reason why I moved to Los Angeles. And I think when we got married and we kind of, you know, combined i guess mm. <laughs> i don't know the word <laughs> merged, um, merged, merged our, lives. our lives together yeah um we both felt nashville internally and there's yeah. no question in my mind that this move was right yeah for us like yeah. so much healing has taken place yeah by moving to nashville it's been the most beautiful ecosystem mm. that has helped cultivate some inner transformation that i don't think could have happened in mm-hmm. in los angeles yeah um there was just so much surrendering and so much grieving, so much acceptance uh, that has had to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's happened here in Nashville. Um, but I am, I'm really curious on where we're going to end up. And I'm wondering if it's going to be like a internal pull mm. that we both feel like that's where we're supposed to be. Or if it's something that we get to choose where we want to be. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. where, where do we want to be? Like, what do we want yeah. this life to look like? We get to choose it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they could both coexist. I but it's going to so be too. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm excited about today's episode. So good. It's so good. So I'm, I'm saying it's so good. I'm not even on it. <laughs> You're not even <laughs> on it. So I recently uh, published this actually on my own podcast called You Can Trust Yourself. And it's an episode with a dear friend of mine, Krista Williams from this the- old. You're so sorry to interrupt, but mm. your old podcast kind of. You don't, you're not still publishing episodes on that. Correct. Topic. Yes. Correct. Just my to clarify. Old, to clarify, my old podcast. Um, and it's with a dear friend, Krista Williams, who is from the Almost 30 podcast. Boom. A, a massive podcast. And um, she is, she's incredible. She, uh, I met her at Onsite, which is a, a program 
run outside of Nashville and we became sisters mm-hmm. very quickly. We had some, some really bonding and healing experiences there. Um, and do you she talk ke- about this on the episode. I do. Yeah, we do. We absolutely talk about it. So, uh, on this episode, we, uh, Kristen and I sit down and we talk about what it looks like really to trust the timing of your life. And her story is incredible. Um, you're going to get a glimpse into that on this episode of, of what it looks like, what it looked like for her to really trust the timing of her life. And I think one of my favorite parts is really uh, just how raw <laughs> she yeah, is. Chris so is somebody where you, you sit down and you feel like, I could just talk with you for hours because she's full of wisdom, but she keeps it really real. It's, there's no pretense involved. She's also someone who really is genuinely invested in the process mm-hmm. of life. And you and I talk about mm-hmm. this a lot. But, but really being in the journey. And I think even what we're talking about with where we're going to live, thinking about trusting this process, trusting this timing, and not having to have all of the pieces figured out quite yet, almost resting in this, in this place that life is happening as it's supposed to, the things that we long for are coming to, coming to us in the right time. And so we tap into that on this episode. It's very delicious. She really is somebody that, as I'm listening to this episode, you can feel the weight of her words mm. or you can feel like, Oh, you live this. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. you've experienced this and you've, um, you've like just gathered an understanding yeah. uh, based on your experience, a, a worldview and how you see life. And there's so much weight to it. That's what I just kept feeling like, Oh, there's weight to this. I trust this language. Yeah. It's like knowing when someone has actually done the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And trusting the timing of your life <laughs> Wow, what a process. We're all trying I to I feel do it. like the first time, obviously, trusting the timing of, of your life, it really requires surrendering. It requires mm-hmm. acceptance, right? It requires of letting go of where you think you should be or what you think your life should look like or mm-hmm. um, where you should be and mm-hmm. be here now. I always remember just uh, David White, uh, one of his poems, there's a line that I just... I don't know, it's like scripture to me. And he just says, give up all other worlds except the one which you belong to here and now. Mm. You know, mm. and that really encapsulates trusting the timing of your life. Yeah. You know, and it's such a process. And I just know that anybody that's wrestling with that, mm-hmm. uh, you're not alone. Or even asking, what does that look yeah. like? How does that play out practically? Yeah, I remember actually, uh, real quick, when I met you mm. and I was like, oh my God. I had this moment where I was like, well, shit, this has been waiting for me this entire right. time. Right. And it, I looked back on the journey and I was like, wait, if mm. this was waiting for me this entire time. And then I realized that I couldn't have met you a week earlier. Yeah. Right. I met you when I was really totally. supposed to meet. And that was so real. That felt so real. Mm. And I had a moment of being like, this is, this is why you trust the timing of your life. Mm. Right. This is what, this is what is available mm-hmm. for you, Caleb, when you trust the timing of your life. And so I just think it, it set the precedent in so many ways of what it looks like to move forward from this place. And as I am, you know, finding myself still anxiously clinging to this idea of a life that I think I should have or Mm. where I think I should be, right? I I look at you and I remember Mm. like, oh, I can trust the timing of my life. Mm. Yeah, it's happening. It's It's happening happening in the right time. I feel so similarly. We've talked about this a lot, but I think for me, I spent so many years in anxiety around my singleness, like literal Mm. anxiety, crying and grieving and clawing and all of the things. And I think if I had known that you were waiting at this junction in my story, all of those, uh, all of those nights of binging on popcorn and wine and wishing (laughs) I was somewhere else, uh, wouldn't have existed because I would have known that what I was really longing for was coming. And so I think that's part of this piece of trusting the timing of if we really, really trust that, that God, that source is is on our side, that life Mm -hmm. is happening for us, it's much easier to lean into the trusting of the process because we know that that life is happening for us and in the right time. And and I look back similarly and I'm like, I could not have met you one day earlier. It just would not have worked. We would have probably both sabotaged it. So I think you're right. I feel like our relationship has been this picture for us individually and collectively of what's possible possible when we lean into that trust and has given us a vision for how to, how to look forward in life, how to move forward mm -hmm, and hold that perspective. 
Yeah, I started to say it earlier, but if you are somebody that's asking what it looks like to trust the timing of your life or if you're, you know, finding yourself um, in a place where it's, it's hard to mm. give up, as David White would say, give up all the other worlds um, except the one which you belong to here and now. Again, you are really going to get something from this episode. Mm -hmm. And just in case you don't know, Krista, she is the co-founder, like Kara said, of Almost 30. It's a top 50 pod podcast global brand and community. Uh, she has a background in digital marketing, sales, and strategy at Fortune 100 companies, and she left corporate America behind to build Almost 30 from the ground up alongside her best friend and co-host, Lindsay Simsek. Uh, since its inception in 2016, Almost 30 has grown to more than 30 million downloads, mm. has been nominated for Best Health Podcast, Best Spirituality Podcast by iHeartRadio, and has been recognized by Entrepreneurial Girl Boss, BuzzFeed, Coverture, and more. Krista and Lindsay lead worldwide events, digital workshops, and a membership program to support their community's conscious evolution. Krista is the co-founder of Podcast Pro, a comprehensive program to help others create their dream podcast, which we have linked in the description of this podcast and also all the other ways that you can connect uh, with the incredible work that Krista is doing. Yeah, she's absolutely incredible. She's so fun to listen to. You you feel like you're sitting in a living mm -hmm. room having coffee or tea or wine. You're going to get so much out of this episode. I'm so excited for you guys to, to dive in and to listen to what she has to say. Krista, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. I'm glad that we got to like catch up before we need to record podcasts and just catch up the whole time. I <laughs> we need to just say we're going to record a podcast to get it on the calendar. Exactly. I should just hit an automatic record uh, the yep. moment we jump on. Yes, I know. That's the thing is like when you're friends, you get deep so quick. So it's yeah. already like sometimes with podcasts, I'm like, oh, we actually missed a lot when you first start because you're like, we just got real quick. Yeah, we already touched on it. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad to hear have you here. I have um I have a surprise I didn't tell you before we hit record. Okay. I'm pregnant. No. <laughs> yeah. oh, babe. I know. Can you handle oh. it? Oh my God. I love it too because how we met too is like the healing of of a lot of the inner child stuff. And yeah. Mom, oh my God. I know. So crazy. I was like so excited to tell you. It's been a whirlwind. It's been such a whirlwind, even with the body. I mean, you'll you'll identify with this, but it's so I funny. Can. Yeah, as women, we're like trained our whole lives to not gain weight. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to celebrate our bodies changing. And it is, it's so celebratory and magical. And it's also like, wait a minute, this what's happening? What's invading my body? It I is wild. I'm, I'm, and I, I hate that you, I think about that, you know, I'm like, oh, the, the greatest transition of my life to being a mother takes the evolution of my body and the facing of my body for a bigger size. And it's like, I'm scared. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I don't want to do that. You know, there's that yeah. little part of it. Like, oh man, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I was talking to a girlfriend last week who's had a few pregnancies and she was like, I felt the sexiest of my whole life at about six months pregnant. And I was like, that's encouraging. That's like so encouraging because I think I have felt like as the body's changing, I'm like, I am definitely different, but there's this reality that I'm creating, like I'm fucking creating life. Oh, hundred percent. And there's that spiritual element too, where you're like, oh, like this is us, you know, this is you, this is how you want to come into the world. This is the experience that we have together. And mm. yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I think about with the relationship with the body. I'm like, if not now, when do mm. we heal this? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about lately, you know, like with weight and our size and our body, it's like the problem isn't our weight or the number or the size or the weight gain. It's our relationship to it. And mm. it's like, when we put on weight or our body changes, it's like, how can we have a better relationship to it and see the transition for what it is, which is creating this home. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenging one. And I don't know if you felt like, how have you felt, have you felt nervous about the process of becoming a mom? Like what's that, what's that been like for you? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I think, um, I think I'm nervous about the responsibility that comes with it. It's like 
the the reality that forever I'll be responsible for something else and someone else. Mm-hmm. And that feels very weighty. I also feel like I've done enough work and Caleb and I have talked a lot about this. I've done enough work to recognize that this little tiny human soul has chosen my body. Like it's chosen me to mother it. And, and I get to be a steward of that soul's life. Mm-hmm. But I think like with our parents' generation, I feel like they had this perspective of, oh my gosh, we have to shape and mold this child to make sure it becomes the best possible human it can become. As opposed to seeing it as like, this, this thing is already this thing and it's just going to become what it is. And we get to help usher it into that becoming. But I don't, I feel like in my own in my own internal work, I've really been able to surrender and let go kind of these expectations of what I want. I I want this kid's life to look like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my God. I feel so grateful that we're in the place and time that we are of consciousness to know that because Mm. I look at all people and I'm just like, even with me and my sister, we grew up in the same sort of environment. We are so different. Yeah. And I think when people look at siblings or, you know, people that grew up in the same area, it's like this, my soul was my soul before mm. it came through this incarnation. Like mm-hmm. my soul definitely was in, influenced by how I grew up very much so, but we just are who we are from like a very young age. And to come in and just let kids teach us instead of being so, I know everything. And that was my experience when I was younger. I felt like, my parents never let their guard down to be vulnerable about what they didn't know or, you know, what they were nervous about. So it always felt like a disconnect between what was going on and what I was being taught Mm. where I never felt like there was truth and honesty because it was always like, Oh, just, you know, because your mom says, or because I say, or do it this way or all of that kind of stuff. There was like such a disconnect. Yeah, absolutely. Krista, I have, thank you. Thank you. I have to tell you, I was, um, I was on your Instagram this morning and I was just, uh, recognizing, and I want to honor you in this, that you are such an expander for me. You are someone who simply by being yourself, simply by showing up as you, because you do that, you carry such a genuine and authentic honesty about who you are. Um, because you embody that, I feel like you really have expanded my own capacity to step into who I am. And I'm oh. sure if I'm, if that's true for me, it's true for so many others. I feel like you've oh. really been an expander for so many people. So I would love to, I mean, you've co-built this, this massive podcast, this uh, global community, this platform that's really empowering women to, to evolve and to, be, to be, become, wow, couldn't find my word. <laughs> so I'd love to just start with how did that happen? How did you, how did you and Lindsay decide like, this is what we're going to do? And, and, and did you see the vision of it as you began? Oh my gosh, definitely did not see the vision of it. I mean, you know, the name almost 30, I'm 33 now, so I'm no longer <laughs> almost 30. So we definitely didn't have a vision for what it would be. But, um, I met Lindsay after moving to Los Angeles from New York, I was in the corporate world for eight years and I, the whole time was just so I was so, I was just searching. I was like, what am I here for? What am I here to do? I literally would just lose sleep at night because I wanted to find my purpose. I wanted my life to be meaningful. I Mm. wanted to feel like I was here for a reason beyond doing all the corporate jobs I was doing. So I was all over the place. I was in consulting, marketing, sales, all of this. But I found SoulCycle when I was in New York City, which is hilarious. Like, it's such like a white girl thing to say. I found SoulCycle. SoulCycle. It's like church. Yeah, so it really was. It was like, wow, these women that are instructors are confident, they're leaders, they're creating community, they're just being themselves. Like I just was intoxicated. So I wanted to audition. So I auditioned for Soul Cycle and I didn't get it uh, the first time in New York. And um, I actually didn't get it because I was so uncomfortable on a microphone. I mm. could not hear my voice. I got on the mic in my audition and I was so, I was just, it was like, I I was so confronted with what I like, who I was and what I was saying that I started to get vocal lessons in New York city. So I was in my corporate job. So once a week I would pay a hundred dollars to get a vocal lesson uptown. I would just like the whole thing. 
I got a lot more comfortable on the microphone. I got a lot more grounded in my voice and um, went to audition again. And when we auditioned again, I had moved from New York to Los Angeles really to just mix it up. I loved New York, but it wasn't for me. And I needed to get like insider information. I was like, I need to get support from someone that knows about SoulCycle to help me in this second audition. And I got connected to Lindsay. Mm. And so we met over FaceTime and we just connected immediately. And I didn't get the second audition, but I found her. And, you know, I was, I'll never forget one time I was walking around in my tiny apartment in Venice and I was just sitting there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have the missing puzzle piece. Like, I just remember this weird feeling. I was like, wow, I have everything I need. Like, mm. it was just like, I have everything I need. I have this missing piece with her. Mm. And we were so just drawn to one another mm. you know, from soul level. And really a lot because I had felt like, wow, I tried for this thing. I thought I was manifesting my dreams and I didn't get it. I had failed two times. I was trying blogging and it wasn't really working. I was in these jobs I hated. I was still having body issues. I was still having anxiety. I was going through all these things and she was going through her own things. You know, she had been in relationships she was in and out of. She was trying to act and it, you know, wasn't really working in the way she wanted. And we were just like, what is this period in life? Like, why doesn't anyone tell us about our late 20s where we feel like we're so lost and we feel like nothing makes sense and we're trying and we want to do these things and, you know, and so when in our conversations, we were like, you know what, we can't be the only ones. We can't be the only women that feel like we're lost in our late 20s and we want to find purpose and we want to feel less alone in our evolution. And so we just started to record ourselves. Mm. And for seven months, we just recorded ourselves on, on my closet floor, on her closet floor. And then eventually we launched the show in um, 2016. And it was like ridiculous. Like huh. what we shared, you guys, if you want to listen to our, the first episode is ridiculous. But what was I want to go back to those. <laughs> Well, we actually have an episode of us listening to our first episode and it's hilarious Yes, because we're, we're saying nothing. Like we're literally like, like we get on and we're like, yeah, we just want to be real with you guys and be truthful. And everyone's like, who are you? Like, we don't know who you are. And, um, but what was the most powerful potent thing about almost 30 was that me and Lindsay showed up authentically, truthfully, we showed up messy. We showed up however we want it to be. And that's really how it's grown, you know, as a way for people to feel less alone in their evolution. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. I love, I love too, that like you're on the other side of this, right? You're on the other side of the hardship in many ways. Not that life is not hard now, but you've kind of had this overcoming story of, of seeing how all the pieces fit. And I feel like, um, so many people were, were in these like in between spaces. I always, I always reference my singleness cause I was the girl who wanted to get married at like 25 and I didn't meet Caleb until I was 35. And so those 10 years of the in between, they just feel so confusing and they feel like aloneness and all of the wrestling, you know, and, and I'm thinking of you, um, as you didn't get the second audition or as you didn't get that first uh, audition, you know, you didn't, you didn't get to do what you thought was a dream, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. and that door was closed for you. And and I feel like so many times when we see these doors closed, we have that sense of like, oh, the world is ending or life is over, right? Yeah. So how did you keep yourself? Mm-hmm. How did you keep yourself? Or maybe you didn't. Maybe it just happened naturally for you. But how did you keep yourself um, hopeful of what was becoming for you? Because now we look at your story and we're like, thank God you didn't get the soul cycle, yeah, you know? God. I know that's the whole thing is like, I always like, I, that's, I love that question. And that's, I always give the caveat, like it is easier on the other side, mm. <laughs> you know, it is easier on the other side where you're older. And that's the thing being older is the bomb. Cause you could kind of see the, the, you know, the things, um, all work together, but I just continued to like, I just never stopped. Like I never stopped my desire to create my curiosity to grow my desire to evolve and, you know, after Soul Cycle, I could have auditioned again, but I found with Lindsay that I was getting out of it what I was really looking for, which mm-hmm. was feeling less alone, feeling like I was using my voice, feeling like I could express myself, feeling like I was helping people in a small way. And it is hard to give up, you know, or it is hard to not give up. Like there are so many parts, you know, you with Caleb too, it's almost like when you're waiting that long, you know, and Lindsay was single for eight years too, before she found her partner, mm-hmm. you're like, what is the point? You yeah. Know, like what is 
when is this going to happen? And it is really challenging, but I had to just focus on what I could do in the moment and what I could do in the time. And for me, that was not giving up. And for me, that was really just continuing to listen to whatever the voice inside me was. And I've learned so much from that. And I'm sure you with Caleb, like, it's like, God had a bigger plan for me than mm. I could have ever dreamed. And that was the biggest lesson is like now with manifestation, I, you know, create, I try to manifest what I want out of my life, but I really let it, let it to God because mm. my mind cannot conceive of what things that are offered to us when we really give our life over. And of course in miracles talks about that a lot. It talks about, mm. you know, we ask for too little. It's like, you do not ask for too much. You ask for too little. And I was doing that. You know, I was like, Oh, I want to be a spin instructor because I can do this things. And, and in my, in my path, I was given way more and I was given longevity of career and I was given more uh, fulfillment. I was given all these things. So there really is like the conscious creation, the never really giving up, even when it's hard. And then really giving it up to God to like fulfill your dreams in ways that you might not expect are possible. Yeah. Uh, I love that idea of that we ask for too little. Mm -hmm. And I think even saying it, it's so interesting. I've been, I've been leaning into this because over the past year and a half, I've shifted my career completely. Right. And I, and now I'm, I'm like dreaming again and thinking about what I want to create. And it's been so interesting to even reflect in myself, like, am I asking too little? And I think that, that one thing I want to note on is this idea that if we, if we really want to hand our lives over, if we really want to trust God with, with the story arc, right? Because there's always this story arc that's happening. And this is what I tell single women I work with all the time. You will look back and you will be like, thank God I didn't meet him until then, right? It's the, it's the story that we hear over and over. Like, thank God I didn't meet him until then. Um, so that in between, it, it's so purposed. But there is this sense of if you want to hand your life over, you really have to let, let go of the expectations of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for you, how were you able to kind of just let go of those expectations and let almost 30 and the rest of your life evolve how it was meant to evolve? Yeah. I, you know, I was doing this episode with Lindsay on like your spiritual evolution in your path. And I think this relates to it is that it is actually really important that in our path, we actually get really diligent about our rituals and routines and that like constant creation and not doing. And then after that, we have the dark night of the soul. And beyond that, we sort of let everything happen as it should, because we're living in such alignment. Mm. So it took a long time, you know, it took my period of, of like, uh, 25 to 30, where I wasn't drinking, I wasn't really going out, I was meditating every day, I was doing things that people weren't really doing, like I was on my spiritual path in a really deep way. And then it took the period of the dark night of the soul where I felt completely lost, and I felt completely depressed. And then it brought me to this place where I've let go of a lot of the control that I, I think I know better that I think I know better than the creator than whatever is is meant for me. Um, and it's taken a long time and it's taken a lot of humbling Mm. of realization that as much as we believe we're in control, we're absolutely not in control. Mm. Um, But I think when we're thinking about our dreams and what we're creating with the world, I always just kind of take the observer perspective of like, okay, say I want to create a YouTube channel and I want it to be a really big channel that reaches a lot of people. When I say that, what comes up for me? It's like, well, you can't do that because you don't have time. Okay, that's story number one. It's like, well, you can't do that because it's like too late. Everyone's on YouTube. That's story number two. It's like, well, you can't do that because you don't have an editor. Story number three. And we can just kind of go through all of the ways in which we limit ourselves with our stories mm. and just sort of play with those and get really clear, like writing them down. I write all of them down so I can be like, what is this story here? What is this story here? Because every single time we tell ourselves something cannot work for some reason, those are absolute stories. Mm. And we can always ask for either expanders to expand our minds to show us that it's possible, or we could really work just like strategically on how to work through those. Like, okay, how can I make time? How can I find an editor? How can I, you know, see other people that have done it late in the game? And I think by the recognition of our stories, we can really see how we limit our dreams and we limit the things that we want. And we have to consciously work against those. So it's first the real spiritual evolutionary process to get to a point where you can let go. And I think a lot of people, it takes a long time. It took me a long time. And then second, it's really working with the stories that we tell ourselves about our dreams and about our wishes and how we 
limit ourselves through those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the stories too, like sometimes in the stories that we're telling ourselves, for me at least what I've noticed is there's um, what I used to classify as self-sabotage is actually some form of self-protection, right? Like, so when I tell myself the story of like, it's too late in the game, you know, all, all these other people have already done it. Essentially what I'm saying is like, there's a sense of my central nervous system that's protecting myself from actually putting myself out there because I'm scared that it won't come to fruition in the way that I want. Right. So it's almost like in the stories, how do we get into the fear, the actual fear that's coming up for us and be really gentle and compassionate with that fear so that we can move ourselves forward. Yes. I think that's so powerful. And I, I completely relate. And I've actually had that realization too, around like food in my body where before Mm. I'd be like, I'm sabotaging myself by binging or overeating or, you know, not eating in the way that I feel nourishes my body as best it can. But I realized that, oh my God, I'm protecting myself from something or like I, in my mind, I think that I'm like doing myself a service by protecting myself from being seen. Or I think that I'm like nourishing myself right now. I think that I'm, um, you know, soothing myself right now. And how can we reframe where we are critical about ourselves to see what's really going on, where we're soothing ourselves. We are really protecting ourselves. We are you know, keeping ourselves safe. And then you can come at it. Like, like we talked about before from like the, you know, being kind to your inner child. It's Mm. more so like, Oh, how can I mother myself? Because I know that I'm doing that out of my own best interest, although it doesn't seem like it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was working with a client last week and, um, we were working on emotional eating and, and one of the things that came up is, you know, we, we were talking about when, when the pattern of emotional eating began and it began at a young age when there was a really hard family trauma Mm -hmm. and her, Um, her way of dealing with this intense emotion that her little girl self didn't know how to deal with. And no one, you know, no one sat with her and said, let's process your emotion. So her way of dealing with it was distraction, right? Like distraction and food became a great distractor from this hard emotion. So fast forward 25 years later in adult life, you know, she's, she's saying about herself, well, I feel like I just don't follow through and I'm a procrastinator and I don't finish things. And I said, well, what happens when things become hard? And she said, I distract myself. And I was like, well, that's just a behavior that you learned at age 12 or whenever it was, right? It's just a learned behavior. And so now instead of beating yourself up about being a procrastinator or, you know, self-sabotaging, you can actually go back and, and say, what are the feelings that I'm so scared of feeling? Like, what are the things I'm so afraid of feeling that I feel the need to distract myself? And Mm. I feel like that was huge for me. That was like a huge realization in my healing relationship with my own body. Because for so many years, I kept leaving my body and abusing Mm. my body and living in in self-hatred towards my body. And then I would be so angry about that, or I'd be so angry at myself about it. When in actuality, what my, my... true self needed was this tenderness and compassion in this space to actually feel everything Mm. I needed to feel. Mm. Yeah. I, I had, um, I, that's so beautiful. And I had a situation like two weeks ago where I had like quite the binge. Mm. I came home from seeing friends and I was just feeling so critical of myself. And I just had this mighty, mighty fine binge. And the next day I was like, Oh, like what? I just had this thought about Louise Hay and you know, Louise mm-hmm. Hay who talks a lot about um, different uh, ways in which the body communicates through us through illness and sickness and all these things. And Louise Hay writes that when you overeat, it's because you're being self-critical of your feelings or you're judging your feelings. And I was like, damn, that is the truth. And I'm so grateful for that because now I can realize like so much of my judgment of myself and my criticism of how I was showing up in in that environment. I came home and was trying to like soothe myself. You know, Mm. I was trying, because I was like, first I was like mad at myself for feeling that way. I was judging myself. I was doing all these things. So, you know, I'm like, Oh, how can I feel better? And my body and my mind are like, Oh, I know how to feel better. Like we're going to binge. Like this is always makes us feel good. All that thing. So it's like the recognition, like with your client of the patterns that we're in and how really these, these mechanisms that we do with overeating and with so many other things are just like trying, they're trying their best to like love us because right now in the moment before we're not. Yeah, it's so true. It's what you said. They are trying their best to love us and protect us, like Mm -hmm. really make sure that we're okay. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been pretty vocal on Instagram about how you intentionally did not diet for your wedding. And I'd love to probe at that. I feel like so many women have this perspective of like, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life for my wedding. And I think that what I really loved about what you shared is just this acknowledgement of you wanted to be with you. You wanted to fully be you in the process. So tell me what that was like for you. It was, um, it was quite the journey. Cause I think about I'm 33 now and I've been with my husband for 10 years and man, you know, we, on our second year of dating, we talked about getting engaged and getting married. And if I would have gotten engaged and married at that time, I would have been master cleanse souping. I would have been <laughs> real, like the way that I would have approached it is so different. And totally. after together for 10 years, that's like, Hey, the gig's up, mm-hmm. the gig is up. This is who I am. This is what my body is like. And, um, you know, I just felt myself with having to like sort of analyze all the narratives I had around marriage when we were in the portal of being engaged. And I think you could probably relate. It's like, okay, what does marriage mean to me? What do I want my marriage to be like? What does commitment mean to me? What does being a wife mean to me? What does, um, you know, this ceremony mean to me? What does family mean to me? What does my body mean to me in this moment? Mm. And so I had to do like, just kind of always think about all of the narratives that were told. And one of the narratives that were told is that you have to be in the best shape of your life. You have to be super thin. You have to be all of these things. And I just was like, every time I've gone to a wedding, the women look so unbelievable and gorgeous. But also I'd see so many of my friends. It's like, I didn't know who that was. Yeah. Dang, like you lost 30 pounds. You know, I would just be like, yo, what is this? whole thing. And so I wanted to just really be like anti that, not anti anyone loving themselves enough to like make their goal and achieve it. But like, I wanted to be like anti the narrative that we have to be super small and we have to be not look like ourselves for our wedding and really just look as much like myself as I could. And I do think it helps that as a public persona, I guess. I have a lot of photos taken of me. So I've had to really work with that. And I've Mm -hmm. had to really like be comfortable with that. So, but I also, with my wedding was like, I've had a lot of photos taken. So it's not like I have a thing where I, it felt super special. Like the photos felt special, but it just kind of felt like another photo shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say it wasn't easy. Like I look at our photos and I'm like, Oh wow. I, I've, I had to have a moment on the day we got our photos back because I felt so, I felt the disappointment. I would go on. I didn't look like what I thought I would look like. Mm. And so it's, it's a struggle. It's a balance. And some days I feel super proud of myself. And some days I feel like, Oh, I wish I would have done a little bit more, but I do feel like, you know, I felt in my heart as the, the wife, how I wanted to feel. And I think that's all that matters. Yeah. And you looked damn stunning. <laughs> you really, really did. I feel like you looked so radiant and glowy and just so true to you. Mm, yeah. It, I felt, I felt good. It was, it was funny though. Like I, and I think, you know, this too, it's like, you're planning something for so many months that at the end, as we got close, the wheels kind of fell off for me. Yeah. And I was like, dude, whatever. Like even on the wedding day, my makeup, my hair, I was like, dude, it was like, you're just so tired that I'm like, how do people care about something for so long? Yeah. Like, I was like, dude, I don't, I can't care anymore. Like, I don't care what my earrings are. I don't yeah. care what all stuff is like, yeah, it's a lot. It's so much. We we kind of lucked out because I was a wedding planner from like age twenty four to twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Did and you plan your thing. Yeah, so I planned our wedding, but I think because I was so immersed in the wedding industry and didn't like it. Like I was like, these things don't matter. You know, we would show up and like the bridesmaids would be crying because their ankles looked fat in their Tom shoes or like just stuff where you're like, it's not, why are, why is there so much energy spent on these things that literally have no uh, weight or gravity on the actual ceremony and marriage? And so for me, when we, when we got engaged, I was like, I want to be so low key. I obviously wanted like good food, good drinks. I wanted it to be celebratory with friends, but I didn't, I intentionally decided I didn't want to care about the stuff that didn't matter. 
And Caleb, interestingly, like he, he was really worried that he would come into the day feeling so overwhelmed by all the, Mm -hmm. the need to like take care of everyone's emotions and all of that. But we both sat down two days before the wedding and just spent like some time together and, and intentionally kind of decided to let go. Like just how can Mm -hmm. we let go of, of even like, um, yeah. How can we let go of the need to like make everybody happy and, you know, I think it like, it's true. There's something about being really selfish is the wrong word. Cause it has such a, a negative oh, connotation, but there's something, yeah, there's something so powerful about getting really selfish on your day and recognizing like everyone is here to witness you. Like everyone is here to, to be immersed in the, mm-hmm. the vortex of love that you are creating. And oh yeah, I actually loved that portal for that reason. I was like, damn, I can be selfish. Like I actually, was like, this is a good practice for me because I'm saying yeah. what I want. Yeah. People would be like, oh, do you want this? And I'm like, yes, yes. no. Do mm-hmm. you want to do this? Yes, no. Can I do that? Like the way that I was so, and you know, at my, we had, um, we had like everyone on the beach on Friday and then Saturday. And I'm like, I literally caught myself being like, oh, this is a situation where I could normally I'd go and be like, are you okay? Is everything going on? Like, blah, blah. I'd be worried about other people. And I literally was like pulling my energy back. Like, nope, I'm going to move on and just stay completely in my energy. It was like such a beautiful practice for that. And creating the psychic space for yourself around your wedding is so important. And I worked with our healer Kiki around that. I'm like, we need to create our own psychic space so that we can really remember that like we deserve to have the best weekend of our lives together. Like you, everyone deserves that. And I just had to keep telling myself that I'm like, I've given this to other people and you have too, as a friend, I deserve this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did that look like to work with her? I'm so curious what the process was. Oh, Kiki's the best. Um, so she's like our, our resident, witch at almost 30, we work with her twice a month. Um, and she does a lot of clearing on our social media protection. Um, she does a lot of like, uh, block removing. She does a lot of like, uh, intuitive work for both Lindsay and I in our business. And, but I had a personal session with Justin, myself and her, and we really just had to, um, it was kind of like a meditation healing session, but in it, it was just like the clearing of any psychic energy around us. And psychic energy would be related to anyone else's thoughts, Mm. thoughts, feelings, or emotions on what the wedding should be and how it should go. Anyone else's projections on us, anyone else that's sort of like watching what we're doing and just kind of create this like clear bubble or this gold light or something just more space around us so that we could have our own thoughts, feelings, emotions, and expressions and not feel bogged down by everyone else's because there's so much energy coming at you at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you feel like was the best or like the most sacred part of the day for you? Oh, um, I loved, I felt so proud of our vows. Mm. Did you guys do your own vows? Mm -hmm. You would. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure they were unreal. And I just felt like I just felt so, I was like, oh my God, this is it. It felt like a clear channel felt, and same with him, like what he said, like both of our vows just felt like so us and they felt so beautiful. And I just was so, I was like, this is the best. Like, and they were actually very present. Like it wasn't, Mm. we've been together for 10 years. So it was very representative of who we are right now. And I just, oh, that was the best for me where I felt in my power saying them. And I felt like he was in his power saying them and receiving that was just so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have had kind of an unconventional relationship. It's been Mm -hmm. 10 years of togetherness and you talked about marriage. You said two years Mm -hmm. in. Yeah, totally. I'm like the opposite end. I'm like, how, how quickly can we do this? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, you were younger and, and you met in New York and you've, you've done so many transitions together. What was, um, what was kind of the turning point of like, this is the time for marriage. This is when we want to step into this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at year two, you know, you're just so high off of like the fucking falling in love. Yeah. And I was actually living in Chicago and I met him. I had met him six years prior in college. Uh, we met one night and he messaged me when he came to visit Chicago. He was living in New York and we met that night and then fell in love and we were long distance for a year. So we had moved in. We hadn't really even known each other when I moved into New York. So it, that felt fast for us mm. moving in and falling in love. 
And at year two, I remember we were in Vegas. We were like at this like club and we were like just so in love. We were, he was like, I think I'm going to, you know, I want to propose like next year. And I was so excited. Mm. And then it was just something where kind of our transitions when life got in the way where I was pursuing soul cycle so much, he was pursuing his own thing. He was in commercial real estate and he quit to become um, a software engineer. And we also were going through kind of like an adjustment period. Mm. We were kind of fighting quite a bit after moving in and really getting to know each other. So it didn't feel right. And then we were just so focused on like our missions and we were going through so many transitions of Chicago, New York, LA, jobs quitting, friendships, you know, all of this stuff that kind of fell to the wayside. And then after, you know, eight or so years of being together, when we finally got engaged, it was like, I felt like in my heart that we had gone through the transition of the the oxytocin and all of the serotonin of everything of falling in love after a few years had worn off. And we had gone through the phase of like, oh, this is real. And like, mm-hmm. this is who you truly are. This is who I truly am. This is like, we went through the dark night of the soul of what was hard. And then you come back and it was like, oh no, this is forever and there's nothing else. Yeah. And so, you know, in relationship, there's like all these ebbs and flows. And I felt like we went through enough ebbs and flows where it was like, oh no, like we will be forever. And it's been the best to get married after so long because um, it was just such a celebration. Yeah. And everyone that was there was like, you know, we started dating when I was like 25 or 26. All my friends were like, yo, Justin's been our friend for 10 years. Like mm-hmm. he's been with us forever. And it was like, they're like, I've never really known you without him. And so it was like such a powerful moment of like, wow, like we've gone through a lot and we have more to come. And I was so grateful. I mean, I'd be happy if we got married after two years, but I'm just so grateful that we waited because it made it that much more special. Yeah. I think it probably prepared you so much too to enter in with such like, uh, such confidence that you can, you can really move through anything. Yes. A hundred percent. Like, and I think if you're a con, you know, I read this, it was like, um, Yogi Bhajan maybe talks about it, but he talks about like, if you're a conscious person, like you can't make the wrong decision Mm. because you're consciously aware of the choices you're making and what you're both bringing into the situation. And I think I did a lot of healing too, up until this point that I really needed to do around, around commitment, around, um, you know, marriage around Mm. like trusting people. And so that was also necessary too. Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. So something I've been leaning into recently is this idea. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, on this, but this idea that, uh, when we abandon ourselves, like when we're not true to ourselves, we forfeit this idea of self-trust and, I feel like for me, I spent so many years of my life abandoning myself, like leaving myself. And again, we touched on this, but so much of it was done in self-protection and we can honor that. Um, But in that, I really handed over, handed over my self-trust. And you were there at onsite with me (laughs) when I kind of like took back. I I feel like in that room, I took back my sense of self-trust. And I'd love to, I'd love to share that story because it's, I think it's a really beautiful and powerful story, but I'd also love to get your thoughts on, on this idea of abandoning ourselves and what it looks like to, to kind of leave behind anything that asks us to leave ourselves. Because constantly, like on the daily, we're we're bombarded with things that are asking us to leave ourselves. I can even notice myself on Instagram. There's times where I'm like, oh, I went away. Like I I left myself. So how do we how do we leave behind the things that are asking us to leave ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so much compassion for that. Sometimes like I'll like come to after like a scroll on Instagram and my soul will be like, Oh, that, how was that? You know, (laughs) how do you feel? Like, it'll be like, how do you feel after that? Yeah. Or like, I'll watch like trash TV and it's like, okay, I see you, you know, it'll be like, Mm -hmm. I see what you're doing. You're trying to numb or you're trying to abandon yourself. You know, to be honest, I didn't realize that I was abandoning myself until the past couple of years where Mm -hmm. I was like happening here, you know, where I would be with my mom and, you know, we have a challenging relationship and I would completely disassociate. Mm. It would be like, yeah. like I would just be a shell of myself. Yeah. I wouldn't talk. I would just kind of be there and just, and I was like, why do I feel so terrible? Why, why don't I enjoy this? And why in certain situations with certain people, do I feel so vivacious and free and confident and all these things? And how can I bring myself closer to feeling like that more often? Mm. And a lot of work in therapy has been so helpful for that. You know, how, um, 
you know, we abandon ourselves to protect ourselves. We abandon ourselves because, you know, we are insecure. There's just so many reasons, but I've just sort of the noticing of it has been helpful for me and yeah. to move closer to spaces and places where I do it less. And then in places that I do it sort of running through the checklist where it's like, is this energetically safe? Is this me or is this them? You know, am I tired? Am I hungry? Like halt. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And really just having grace and just sort of knowing that it's going to happen, like it's normal in our human existence to Mm -hmm. abandon ourselves. It's kind of all part of the process to coming back around to the reintegration of our soul and of our inner child. But I just kind of try and notice first. And I think that's the most important thing for people to do is notice and then be like, oh, what was going on here? Yeah. Who was that? Was I with the same person or whatever? But it happens to me still all the time. Yeah. It's just so common. It's so common to, it's probably just a coping mechanism in so many ways. But I think what you said too, is like when we start to recognize that sense of being back home in ourselves and we can be like, Oh, there I, there I am. Like, that's what that feels like. It is the noticing, right? It's the noticing of like, Oh, that's what it feels like to be outside. And that's what it feels like to be in. Yeah. And then, you know, women who run with the wolf, which I've been like really into lately. Me too. I'm reading it right now. Oh my God. So good. And in it, it, like around like page 300, but she talks a lot about how women need need to go home. Mm. And home a lot of time is in solitude. And like the wild woman needs the home, which is in solitude, or it's the home within a forest, painting, cooking, bathing, like these like really beautiful nourishing practices where we can sort of come home to ourselves. Mm. And she talks a lot about, you know, the women that never come home. It's almost like they're always sort of lost. Mm. You know, they always sort of lose themselves because they've never actually given the space and time to come home to themselves on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. I love even that language of coming home. I feel like for me, when I was 33, actually, I was in England for an extended period of time and my life got very slow. I had left LA and I took this breather in England and I thought it was going to be this like time of adventure and spontaneity and it was health. It was honestly health because I got so slow. And so everything that I hadn't dealt with surfaced to the top and I had, I was forced to look at it and my body responded, right? Like I had, um, a series of panic attacks. I was binging more than I ever had in my life. And I was just, uh, so disconnected from myself. And I, um, I had a, a fourth panic attack in a row and you, have you had one? They're like the worst thing in the world. And I was on the phone with a girlfriend and I kept saying, please don't hang up. I think I'm going to die. And she mm-hmm. stayed on the phone with me for like an hour. And then at the very end, as I was like coming to and coming out, um, I, I said, I, I can hang up the phone. And so I hung up the phone and I heard this audible voice and the voice said, be kind to yourself. And it was the first moment in my life where I had questioned or I started to question why I wasn't being kind to myself. Like why, when I was laying on the floor after a panic attack and a binge, why am I being mean to me? I'm having a hard time. If you were having a hard time, I would lay there with you and be really kind to you. But I'm having the hard time and, and my inner voice, my inner critic is being so damn mean. And so I heard this voice of be kind to yourself and really in my, in like the way I think about my story, it is the moment in my life where I turned around and I began to come back home to myself. And, and I, and again, I feel like that's the journey, right? It's like constantly coming back home to ourselves. And there are times when we leave and we, we binge or we go on Instagram too long or, or we consume to kind of get ourselves out. But then it is, how do we turn back around and be kind and come back home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's so beautiful. And I think when I got older and I realized like, oh, do you think you're a good friend to people? And mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh yeah, like I work hard to be a good friend. Like I work hard to be kind to people, you know, I, all these things. It's like, okay, well then do that to yourself. Yeah. You know, if I think that I'm so kind and understanding and loving and all of these things and like, why don't you do that to yourself? And I had this moment where I was with one of my really, really good friends who I really admire. And I was in Chicago and I was talking and I was unconsciously talking and I was just like, Oh, talking shit about myself. Like I am this blah, blah, blah. And the look on her face, she was like horrified. Mm. I'm sorry. It just really hurts to hear you say that about yourself. And I was like, I became really awake in that moment. And I was like, Whoa, 
I'm like hurting other people that love me and want the best for me and want me to love myself when I'm doing this too. And like, even in a weird codependent way that impacted me where I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to, I want to show people that love me that I can love me too. And I want to, you know, talk to myself the way that my friends would talk to me. And I want to talk to myself the way I would talk to my friends too. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is the work of becoming your own best friend. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. It's like, it sounds corny. You're like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's like, it's true. And I've been thinking, I thought about that yesterday, actually. I was kind of like hanging out by myself. I was like, oh yeah, this is me. Like I need to be my best friend. Like I need to prioritize and I need to love time with me mm. over anyone else. Like this needs to be the best time ever when I'm just with myself. Yeah. Yeah, because truthfully, we are in a lifelong committed marriage with ourselves like you and I are in relationship with self and that relationship is never going away so you might as well work at making it good yes 100% yeah exactly I was like this is forever you know I was like this is forever like this Mm -hmm. needs to be fun and almost like you need to find like the refuge and joy of being with yourself you know because and I think when I was having my panic attack moments it was almost like I wasn't listening to something or I wasn't able to really be by myself mm-hmm. and be in it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me, um, tell me how you're enjoying your life right now. Let's see. I am, it's such an interesting thing. Cause I feel like I'm like every day, you know, some days I'm like, this is the best. Mm-hmm. And some days I'm like, Oh my, some days I'm like praying to God. I'm like, please take this from me. Take mm-hmm. my mental take this mental anguish that I have from me. Um, But I feel like right now is such a transition period after being married. I love being married. I just, I feel like I did a lot of work to really be able to receive it. And so I feel so grateful about that. And then Lindsay, who's literally my, the other half of my soul is in uh, New York now. So she moved a few months ago and that's been so interesting to sort of, reestablish my own identity outside of her. And, you know, I realized so much that when we were together, we are always psychically speaking. And so I always felt safe everywhere that we are because I knew that I was, there was someone else that was a safe space for me. Mm. So I'm having to reestablish my own safe space with myself and I'm having to reestablish my own identity with myself right now, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, but I'm loving my, the slower pace of my life right now. It's been so much more nourishing Mm. and I am just really present for this in-between period that feels like, um, yeah, it just feels like an in-between period. Yeah. I love what you said about you did so much work to really receive it. Um, Mm -hmm. can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I, my, um, I just was so resistant, like, Mm. and I feel like I have, I feel like I was part of the generation of a lot of women where we had this programming around us that was like independent women, you know, CEO, girl boss, like we don't need a man, we can do it all, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like, damn, I actually, I have tried part of that path. And I'm like, I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. I don't feel good when I'm not accepting support, when I'm pushing myself too hard, when I'm trying to do it all, when I'm in my masculine, like all of the programming that I had grown up with, I was like, Oh, actually this, this doesn't feel good. And I've tried this for a long time. And so I had to do a lot of rewiring with that, where it's like, it's okay to be supported by your husband. Mm. It's okay to like, you know, be more feminine. It's okay to um, be a, be with the protector and be like more like of just like that, that soft, gooey, loving person. Mm. It's okay to not work so hard all the time. And it's okay to trust someone enough that you can like fully be, be with them. And so that was like a lot of the work I had to do because I was just so resistant to it. I was like, marriage is corny. Like my high school, my high school self would be activated because I saw my parents' marriage be so unsuccessful. Mm. But I was like, oh, marriage is corny. Marriage is lame. And I was like, who's saying that? Is that me, like 33-year-old me? Or is that my 12-year-old self yeah. that felt 
I saw marriage fail. And so just really rewiring that and working together with Justin or in therapy on that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think you just touched on something so powerful too, is that like, I, I feel like I was in that same generation of women of like, we can do it all and we should do it all. And bad boss bitch, babe, like so mass, such masculine energy around our lives. And I think that so much of, of my work has been, how do I, I, yeah, how do I allow for more of the feminine energy in me to, to play? Like, how do I allow things to come? How do I allow myself to receive? And I think about like our generation of women, I know so many single women who really, really want to find their partners. And I just wonder if globally there's, there's this, um, balancing out right now of masculine and feminine energies. Cause we were pushed so hard into the masculine, which has been really great for a lot of our careers and things that we've accomplished. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually receiving in partnership, I think that feminine balance is so necessary. Yeah. I mean, it's like, why it's like, somehow feels disgraceful for us to be like, oh no, I want to be a stay-at-home mom and I want to just, you know, raise a family and I want to be fully supported by my husband and I want to be able to like really like receive my life and be nourished and sleep in and rest. And you know, it's like, why is that like shameful? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, but it's also when I think about the feminine, like the way that we're the programming that we have was like false feminine. Like that's Mm -hmm. actually not it's like marketing feminine. Yeah. Um you know, where it tells us to be a boss babe and be all of these things. And that's just all bullshit to like, keep us consuming, keep us chasing, keep us as in capitalism. It's just, and so I've had to really work with that and I'm not that good at it. Like I just have the awareness and I actively work against it where I'm feeling like I'm doing something because I don't know. But yeah, I think for a lot of women, we, it's like, it it isn't telling anyone what to do, but it's just seeing like, what would feel better for you if you had the choice, Mm. you knew that you had the freedom to choose this route or this route. Yeah, absolutely. Krista, what are you leaning into right now? You kind of said, uh, uh, why am I blanking on the title now? Women who run with wolves. That's something you're into. What else are you leaning into? Um, that's been such a, dude, that book is it's fire. It's fire. I'm like every is that woman. Is book she's ever written? I think so. I actually don't know, but it is like, I, sometimes I read like 10 pages and then I got to stop because I'm like, whoa, I'm digesting. People keep asking me, they're like, how do you read that book? I'm like, I literally go like this, open to a page that I don't even know what page it is and then read whatever's on that page and just digest it because it is, it is an entire book in sentences. Like yeah. she'll put a sentence. I'm like, that's actually an entire an book. An entire book. Mm-hmm. An entire book, like, and it's just so baller. Like, I love like how she's like very elusive. Mm. We don't really know who she is. She only wrote one book. Like, I just fucking love it. Um, so I'm really leaning into that. And then, of course, in miracles, I've been reading. Mm. I don't. I'm not obsessed with it, but I do find that it's very direct and frank. And I really love. I really love that. And then I'm leaning into. Um, hmm. I'm just leaning into like my faith more. And, Mm. you know, I grew up Catholic, so it's always, it was a lot of process for me to come back to being like a God loving person and Mm. like love the creator. And I don't love it in the sense of the religious God that we know, but I've had to really come back to that faith of like feeling supported and feeling like I'm here for a reason and feeling like my life is purposeful through that relationship. Mm. That's so beautiful. I love it. So I have a final question for you. What does it look like uh, in your life to really trust yourself, to lean into self-trust? I love this question. I have to noodle. Yeah, I think when I think about self-trust and trusting ourselves, it's like, I think about how so much of the world we live in doesn't make sense. Mm. You know, not a lot makes sense. Like we know that there's better ways than driving cars. We know that there's better ways than using plastic. We know that there's better ways than our political system as it currently stands. We know that, the, you know, we know that everything doesn't make sense. Mm. And so I think self-trust comes when we really go beyond 
what programming is shared with us and we do what works for us over anything. And we do it when it doesn't feel like it makes sense to the outside world. Mm. And we're choosing our own self-trust of what we know to be true over anything else on the outside. And I think a lot of times it's going against the grain with what you've been told by your parents, what you've been told by society, what you maybe have a story in your head about. And it's like, sometimes choosing the hard thing, you know, it's choosing the hard decisions and choosing the hard path and choosing the, um, you know, the path that may not make sense to everyone. Mm. And for me, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a constant journey with that to be like, Oh, trusting myself over trusting what media says isn't the popular thing to do, but I'm going to continue to do it. So I think sometimes it's the harder, but it's always the more, more rewarding route. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. tell us, you have some fun things coming up, going on. You have the Almost 30 Camp that's happening, right? Oh, yeah. Camp. So camp is just a bunch of new paradigm people. It's like uh, Roddy Devuki, Shetty, Debbie Brown, Africa Brooke. We're going to be talking about like just crazy stuff. So that's on July 24th and that's free for anyone if they want to come. Um, it's a virtual wellness retreat. And then, um, I'm coming. Membership. Okay, perfect. It's going to be fire. We have membership opening up again on July 24th. If people are interested in, in, you know, connecting with a like-minded community, but I think that's pretty much it, but this has been such a joy. Oh my gosh. I just, I knew you were going to bring the heat, but I just have loved this conversation. And I think for me, when I feel confident about myself after leaving a conversation, I'm like, oh, that person really, you know, sought to bring out the best and provided a space for me to feel like I could share my heart. And I just want to thank you for that. Mm, of course, of course. I I love that I already feel so safe with you. So it's it's I a know. natural outpouring of, of what we've already connected on. Yes. And I'm going to be in Nashville soon. So I'm going to text you to do that. Uh-huh. Yes. Ugh, Krista, thank you for being here. This is the best. Thank you so much.